Jesus is a fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. He's the Messiah from the line of David. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He's going to bring God's blessing to all the nations, just like Moses. The kingdom is about God's rescue operation for his whole world. It's an upside down kingdom where there are no privileged members. Everyone is invited. Everyone is called to turn and to repent and to follow Jesus and join his family. It's usually the people who are unimportant, they're nobodies, they're irreligious. And these are the people who are transformed by their willingness to trust, to have faith in Christ. Good morning. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and uh, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own with you here this morning, you should find that there's uh, one in the pew rack in front of you that you can use. Uh, and in the East Auditorium, there's some folks walking around with uh, some Bibles that you can use. And uh, we would say, if you don't have a Bible at all of your own, uh, we would like for you to take that uh, as a gift from us to you to have as your own. Um, however, if you have seven Bibles and one of them is currently in your car... You leave that one there for somebody else. So, all right. So Matthew chapter one, I'm making these things up as I go to give you a chance to get there because we are going to jump right into our passage here this morning in Matthew chapter one, verse one. And so I'm going to invite you to follow along with me. It says this, it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. <sighs> Sorry, still early. Uh, Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father. Okay, time out. I'm going to call a time out. All right, we're in church. So we get to tell the truth. Not that we should lie other places, but we're going to tell the truth here. So answer me this. True or true? True or true? When we take on Bible reading plans of any kind and we come across these long genealogies uh, that honestly read a little bit more like a phone book than they do an inspirational passage of Scripture, do we or do we not all feel just a little bit guilty? Because we all skim. We all skim and scan just a little bit because that's what happens when we get to these long genealogies. And so if you're newer with us and you're like, man, of all the passages that this guy could have picked to preach on, um, I'll give you a little bit of a background as to how we ended up where we're going to end up here today. And that last week we began a series, a new series uh, called Jesus According to Matthew, where we are taking an in-depth look at who Jesus is in this book or the gospel uh, of Matthew, which is a biographical account of Jesus' life and ministry. And so last week we pretty much just set up the whole series that we're going to dive into. And then today really is the starting line where we start in the very first chapter, the very first one uh, or first verse of which I 
I apparently drew the short straw as the preacher schedule goes this week because I get to preach this thrilling, page-turning, edge-of-your-seat, can't-put-this-section-of-scripture-down known as the genealogy, uh, the lineage. Just, uh, we affectionately refer to it, for those who have been around King James versions, the begats. You know, like Aminadab uh, or begat Nason, and Nason begat, you, you know, you get the idea. And so, wondering how in the world I'm going to fill 30 minutes about the genealogy here for you this morning, which I know that just sounds so exciting. Oh, great, he filled the 30 minutes. That's what we're here for. Um, I reached out to a friend of mine, uh, Dave Campbell, who is actually one of our elders, uh, but he's also uh, a bit of a closet scholar when it comes to Old Testament studies as it relates to understanding the New Testament, and particularly when it comes to Matthew, because of the four Gospels that give the biographical account of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew is the one that was written most to, you could say, an Old Testament audience, to a Jewish audience to help them understand how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament uh, had been uh, leading up to. So I emailed Dave, uh, and this is my actual email here on the screen. It was screenshotted from my computer, um, and it says this. Hey, Dave, I have Matthew 1, 1 through 17 lineage as week two of Matthew. I know it's packed full of awesomeness. I'd love to hear from you and your perspective for some of the awesomeness. Brian Talty, associate pastor, First Christian Church, 3350 North MacArthur Road. Okay, all right. So, anxiously awaiting his reply like a kid on Christmas, I see this little unopened envelope at the top of my inbox. Click. Hmm. I always skip that part. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Dave was obviously joking, um, and actually, here's one of the points that Dave have, have, and I have discussed. Uh, when we come to these difficult parts of Scripture, we're not sure what to do with, and that is to remember first and foremost, and this, goes, this is a transferable principle for all of us today, that when we are reading God's Word, that we must remember that every word in God's Word is there for a reason. It's there intentionally. Every word in God's word is there intentionally. Nothing is accidental. Nothing is benign. It is, as God's word says of itself in 2 Timothy, it is God breathed into existence for a reason. And so that's what we have to find. But if we're honest with ourselves, and as we've kind of been joking a little bit this morning, when we get to these points, we've got names just stacked one on top of another. It does leave all of us feeling a little bit, you know, what's the pointish uh, with this with this genealogy thing? And so... As Jesus will say later in Matthew, uh, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. And so let us lean into uh, some of the awesomeness that is in this text, uh, in God's word, in the opening lines of what is going to be a great adventure of discovering who this Jesus is according to Matthew. And so follow along with me and hang with me. We are going to read and and get, there's there's so much gold in here, but we'll we'll have to earth it up a little bit. We'll have to mine for it. All right, so here it is, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. 
Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerem, excuse me, Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. And then after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matin, Matin, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. (laughs) All right. You all are proud of me for naming at least half of those I think I pronounced right. And if not, I was just saying it confidently enough that you'd believe that I did anyway. So, all right. There are, uh, in this passage, what we want to highlight today or elevate are seven points of awesomeness. To quote my cheesy email, we're going to highlight seven points of awesomeness that are in this text uh, that, again, at first glance look might seem like a dry passage, but there's a lot of richness in it for us because it's all here intentionally for us. So, first uh, piece of awesomeness is the introduction, actually, the introduction of awesomeness, we'll say. Uh, And that when it comes to introductions of stories or books, we've all heard, you know, that opening line that grips us and takes us in and wants us to continue to read uh, on, whether it's, you know, just a classic once upon a time, uh, or for you Star Wars fans, we know it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, My 10-year-old daughter, Cole, is actually a pretty avid reader, and so I asked her recently what her favorite book to date is, and she said, uh, to date, her favorite book is J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, of which, taking a look at the first 10 uh, words in that book, it says this. It opens with, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. Now, 10 simple words, but it already has me wondering, well, what's a hobbit? And why does he live in the ground? And will he ever leave his hole? And if he leaves his hole, you know, what surprises or dangers or adventures await him? Psychologists refer to this process as narrative transport. Narrative transport is the capacity for a good story to grab us and to pull us in to what we're reading or seeing. It's that once upon a time effect that we've all experienced in any good story. And when it comes to Matthew, while the opening words of Matthew aren't translated specifically once upon a time, There is a, you could say, a narrative transport right there in the first opening words uh, of Matthew and the opening words of really the whole New Testament that take us back to the opening words of the very Bible itself, to the book of Genesis. 
The first two words in Matthew, the literal words, as it talks about the genealogy, this is the genealogy, uh, or the, it really comes to this idea, this root word of Genesis, it's the word, uh, the two words, biblos genesios, which is the Greek title translated literally, the book of Genesis, book Genesis, the book of Genesis. And so here, scholars say that we are supposed to, again, if you're thinking about an Old Testament audience, we're supposed to do like a Genesis double take. Like it's the same opening words that reflect the opening words or the opening book of the Bible. And so what Matthew is getting at right out of the gate is that there is a difference between the first creation and the now new creation that Jesus is ushering in. And that with Adam and Eve, they brought into the creation, uh, you could say in their original sin, bondage and brokenness as a result of sin. But now Matthew is introducing that Jesus is coming with a new creation. He is coming to bring restoration and transformation. And so the opening words, the opening two words of the New Testament, they set the stage for every God-breathed word that's going to follow. Yes, in the rest of Matthew, but also in the rest of the New Testament that is reflecting a total story of Scripture. And it all is going to start again with Jesus in a new beginning. And so as I discovered this, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm in. I'm, I am narratively transported into what Matthew and the rest of the New Testament has. I'm hooked, okay? So that's our first piece of awesomeness. From there, secondly, we see uh, a second piece of awesomeness, which is actually the awesomeness of the genealogy itself. To which that one's a bit of a challenge for us, because while you might be thinking, okay, you got me a little interested with the whole Biblos Genesios deal, but God admit, you lost me at name I can't pronounce, begat, name I can't pronounce, begat. I'm not even going to embarrass myself trying to uh, forget it, I give up. You know, that's, that's how we feel when we read these things. But at least, so it leaves us wondering, what is with this, this laundry list of names, this family tree of names? Well, it's important to know that in the ancient world, when you come across a genealogy, a genealogy served to really ground a story, to ground a story not in some sort of dynamic fictional opening scene, but more appropriately and more importantly for us, actually grounded a story that was to come in truth. A genealogy grounded a story in a true story of reliable history. You see, in Bible times, genealogies, they didn't serve as, you know, second grade family tree poster board projects. Uh, they really, for, for those people in those times, served uh, more like you could say a modern day resume. Um, because what they did is they told you, you know, from whom and from where you came, and thus really who you were. Because in those days, your family, your pedigree, uh, who you were connected to, your clan. It, it really was your resume. It was how you presented yourself to the world versus in our current day where you see in a resume accomplishments or abilities. In Bible times, a genealogy was everything, was how you identified yourself to everyone in the world. And so in the opening passage of Matthew, the opening passages of the New Testament, it is intentionally in this genealogy, it is rooting us in who this Jesus, whom we're going to discover throughout Matthew, it's rooting us in who he was and who he is in Jesus' identity. And so we're going to see in this, it is the awesomeness of a genealogy. And so from there, thirdly, the third piece of awesomeness, we see Jesus' awesome identity. Who is Jesus? Jesus' awesomeness. We see it right here in uh, this genealogy, in this, quote, resume of Jesus. And so looking again at verse 1, we see that the resume starts... 
actually not too different than ours. It starts with the high points. You know, when you're stuck in a stack of resumes, you want to hit those high points right out of the gate so you can hopefully stand out a little bit. And so ironically, that's exactly what Jesus' resume does. It starts with the high points. And so in verse 1, it says, this is the genealogy, the historic trustworthy account of Jesus, who is the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it starts right out of the gate. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And so Spoiler alert, cover your ears if you don't want to know what happens to the rest of Matthew. But this whole genealogy, the whole book of Matthew is pointing to the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ who has been prophesied and promised about throughout the entire Old Testament. He is the Son of God who has come to earth in human form, lived a perfect sinless life, and then through his perfect sacrifice then, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he was made, it says this, that God made him who had no sin, made Jesus who had no sin, to be sin for us in his sacrifice so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in other words, that we might be made right before God because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. And so Jesus has come as Messiah. He's also come as the son of David or King David. God promised uh, in, in, in Samuel, King David, who, by the way, is unanimously accepted as Israel's greatest king ever. God promises David that through his descendants, through David's genealogy, a king and a kingdom would be established that would, quote, endure forever, 2 Samuel seven sixteen, of which Jesus is that fulfillment. And so we see right at the top of his resume, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is king. He's king of all. He is Lord of all. And he is thirdly, uh, really the first part of his resume, he is the son of of Abraham. It's where Jesus begins. As Abraham, he's the founding patriarch. He is the founding patriarch of Israel. As we see in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham's descendants, or to Abraham, that his descendants, that he will, quote, be a blessing to all the nations. He says through Abraham's lineage, through his genealogy, he will be a blessing to all the nations, to all the people groups. Everyone will be blessed through you, God says to Abraham. And so that is, again, fulfilled in Jesus. But kind of a little bit of a quick fast forward, it doesn't end with Jesus. As interestingly, we, we took a quick look at the first words of Matthew, but the last words of Matthew are Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, 19, where it shows that this mission of being a blessing to all the nations is now handed off actually to us. So Jesus' last words in the, in the Gospel of Matthew is called the Great Commission. He's sending us off and he says, therefore, and go and make disciples of all nations and surely I am with you by the power of my Holy Spirit. I am with you to the very end of the age, which is yet to come. So we've got all of history. You've got Abraham to David uh, to Jesus, and then through the Holy Spirit, Jesus to us until the very end of the age, so that we might be a blessing to all the nations, that we might be able to share the good news of the best life, the best eternity uh, possible through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Okay, so we're already starting to see a hint of what our role will be in the story. But that starts, not today, but actually starts uh, in our fourth awesomeness point. That doesn't even make sense grammatically, but I got to stick with the word now. Uh, as we discover our place, fourthly, in Jesus' genealogy. So the fourth thing we discover that, that's highlighted out of this uh, genealogy is our place in the genealogy. And hint, it's awesomeness. Y'all still with me? Okay, it's awesomeness. Okay, so the question is, when it comes to who's going to be blessed in order to be a blessing, who is qualified to receive that? Who of us, you know, gets that? Who, who's going to be qualified to be a blessed in order to be a blessing? Well, 
Going back to our resume illustration, we know that, just speaking candidly, that we live in a time where, honestly, we cannot get a full picture of who someone is based on a front and back sheet of paper uh, we call a resume, can we? I mean, on the less integratable side, we know that people make stuff up, they fluff their resume, they make it look better than they actually are. But even in the most honest and true and accurate resume, it's still not gonna give us a full picture because while they're, of course, they're gonna put the highlights of the good things uh, that they can do and they have done, what's not gonna be included? Yeah, both rooms, right, the bad stuff. Nobody puts the, the negative stuff in their two pages of limited space in a resume. No one puts in their resume at my previous place of employment, consistently showed up late to work. No one puts that in there. No one says, you know, at my previous company lost $50,000 in a poor business decision. No one writes, you know, totaled the company vehicle at my last, I mean, no one puts that stuff in a resume. But interestingly and ironically, looking again at Jesus' resume as you look through those verses, that is exactly what Matthew does. Matthew does the opposite of what you would expect. And for those times, it wasn't like unique to that time. Like in that time, people want to, in their genealogy, that's their resume, they want to put their best foot forward. But Matthew does something very interesting and he puts these spots in it that you wouldn't expect to see. First off, what you see in there, um, again, this is a cultural situation at the time, is that typically women would not be mentioned in genealogies. That would be very rare. So this was kind of, you know, something different for the culture of that time. And if you were going to mention women, you would, you know, Pick the highlights, you know, the, in this case, maybe the matriarchs of the lineage, you know, maybe include Sarah, Abraham's wife, or, you know, Rebecca, Isaac's wife, but we don't see them mentioned at all. And who do we see? We see names like Tamar, who Tamar's story is she acted like a prostitute by tricking her father-in-law as to continue the lineage of her husband. You have Rahab, otherwise to those of you who've been around Bible some, Rahab the, yeah, right, that's right, both rooms, the harlot or the prostitute, yeah, Rahab the prostitute, that's how she's known throughout history, it's like her last name in the Bible, essentially, and with that, she wasn't even Jewish, she was a foreigner, which was a big deal, as was Ruth, she was also a foreigner, and then you have what it says, it says Uriah's wife, verse six, again, it says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been, quote, Uriah's wife. Now, that makes me scratch my head and say, why not just use her name? Why, why is it Uriah's wife? Well, again, we must remember that every word in God's word is there for a reason. It's there intentionally. So what's the intention here? Well, if we look at that, the story of Uriah's wife and Uriah and David, you may be familiar with the story, and if you are or aren't, I'll refresh all of us. Uh, Uriah actually was a very close friend of David. In fact, Uriah actually was a part of helping save David's life from his predecessor, King Saul, when King Saul was trying to kill him. And then when David became king, Uriah stayed a part of his, you know, his leadership cabinet as one of his military leaders. And then later in David's career, King, or excuse me, Uriah was off fighting King David's war while King David stayed back at home. And while he was off to war, David spent the night with with Uriah's wife, and she became pregnant. And so uh, David had a cover-up plan to bring Uriah home from war to you know, spend the evening with his wife, uh, which didn't go well because Uriah, in honor, said, I can't go you know, enjoy an evening with my wife while my men are out on the battlefield dying. And so like a dog, he sleeps at the door of the palace uh, and, and, and refuses to do this. So David's plan A goes south. And so plan B, he sends Uriah back out to battle in which he then strategically places him on the front line 
lines to have the other men pull back to arrange for his death, basically an arranged murder. And then David, in all honor, sarcasm, uh, then takes uh, Uriah's wife, otherwise known as Bathsheba, to be his own. To which we should all be asking, what kind of resume is this? What kind of resume is, is, are we trying to get from Jesus being, I mean, what's going on here? And again, recognizing that everything is here for a reason. What is the reason that this is all here? What is Matthew trying to say to us in these opening verses of his account of Jesus' life and ministry? Well, what we see is that Matthew is revealing right out of the gate our place in the genealogy. Our place that Jesus has not come for the perfect, he has not come for the elite, but he has come for everyone. He has come from, for everyone, from every place, regardless of genealogy, history, things you've done or haven't done. Jesus has come for us all. And that is our place in the genealogy. In fact, in the words of Jesus later in Matthew 9, he says this of himself. He says, I have come, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, for I have come not to call the righteous, uh, in that context there it needs to be quotation marks because it's to the Pharisees, it's basically Jesus is saying, I've not come to call those who think they're righteous, who think they have it all together, but I have come to call sinners of which we are all, and thus Jesus has come for us all. He is coming for everyone. That is the beginning of Matthew. And another cool piece here. Um, if anyone had the ability to speak into this, to write this, it was actually the author himself. It was Matthew himself. As we're going to now move into our fifth piece of awesomeness in the awesomeness of the author. The awesomeness of the author, number five, Matthew. If you were here with us last week, we spent a little bit of time setting up who Matthew was as the uh, accredited author of this particular biography of Jesus. And if you look at Matthew's life, his, uh, his work resume, he actually was a, he had a history, uh, his profession was that of a tax collector, which in those days, if you were Jewish, which he was, and a tax collector, you were seen essentially as a traitor. You were seen as a traitor to the Roman government as one who is stealing and oppressing your own people because that's just the way things worked in that time. And so as a result, you were absolutely despised. You were hated, you were despised by your people, uh, and of which this was Matthew. He's living a life despised by his own people as a tax collector. And so knowing who our author is, let's look again at the verse that we just looked at. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, um, but the sick. I've not come to call righteous, but sinners. Let's see where that verse lands in the bigger context of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 9 through 13. And uh, you can flip or it'll be on the screen. But here's the story behind that verse. It says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. 
And so as the title of this very series states, it is Jesus according to this Matthew that we read about here. It is Matthew revealing that, look, it does not matter what your resume looks like. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your references. It doesn't matter what you have done. It does not matter what you have not done. That when we say Jesus is the Messiah, Matthew is pointing out that Jesus is Messiah. He is forgiver. He is savior. He is the Christ for everyone. He is the Christ for everyone, for me, and for you. That even in our checkered past, and our sin, and our struggles, 2 Corinthians 5 again, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we then might become the righteousness of God, that we might be made right with God. And this is all because of the sixth piece of awesomeness, And that is the good, a.k.a. awesomeness news. Okay, the good news. Notice that as we study Matthew, as we dive in, we are not studying what you could call Jesus according to the good advice of Matthew. No, it's not that. It is we are studying Jesus according to the gospel, which literally means good news. We are studying Jesus according to the good news of Matthew. And what we're discovering is there is a big difference between good advice and good news. Um, And to explain it, I love the way that Pastor Timothy Keller puts it. He says it this way. He says, the gospel is good news, not good advice. You see, advice is counsel about what you must do. News is a report of what's already been done. Advice urges you to go and make something happen. News urges you to recognize something has already happened and you must respond to it. Advice says basically, it's all up to you. News is, this has already been accomplished in history. It actually happened. The difference between news and advice. It's, I guess the, the closest illustration I come with top of mind would be depending on where you land as far as your baseball team du jour. That whenever in history they've, say, won the World Series and you hear the good news that your team has won, you, you don't say, okay, so what do I now go do? You don't, you don't do anything. You just respond. You just celebrate and you buy overpriced paraphernalia that says world champions on it because that's what we do. We, we, we celebrate. We respond to good news. We don't go do anything. And so as we recognize this, that we have come for good news, not good advice. What then is so awesome about this awesomeness? What is so awesome about this good news? What's so good about the good news? And so our last point, our seventh piece of awesomeness here, look again at verse 17 uh, in Matthew chapter one. One more time, our last verse in that passage and what that's all about. This is pretty cool. It says this, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And so Matthew's pointing out these significant events in the history of the Old Testament. You know, 14 generations between Abraham and David, David to the exile, which is a big deal, and then the exile, 14 generations to to Jesus. And so what the Jewish readers would have picked up on these significant events separated by 14 generations is not um, uh, an additional situation where they would have said, okay, 14 plus 14 plus 14 equals 42. No, they would have seen a deeper layer that each of these 14s actually represents 
two sevens. Hang with me. So the first 14 represents the first two sevens. The second 14 represents the third and fourth sevens. And the third 14 represents the fifth and sixth sevens. Then we come to Jesus, which makes Jesus essentially the seventh seven. Jesus is the seventh seven as we paint these these years across that verse. And what it's pointing to with this number seven is the principle of Sabbath. That right back to creation, going back to Genesis itself, when God created the universe, he did this in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He Sabbath. It's a word that literally means rest or completion or fulfillment, and it's this understanding of spiritual rest um, and, and a reset, if you will. And so God exemplified this in creation, and then he instructs us to live in that same rhythm of, of a seventh day of, of rest and restoration. And then, uh, again, for the Old Testament people, they would have understand also that when it came to agriculture, that every seventh year, the land was to lay fallow uh, in order to give the chance uh, for the land to rest, to replenish its nutrients. And then also throughout the Old Testament, there was something called the year of Jubilee which was the seventh seven. It was the 40, every 49th year, the seventh seven, it was a point in the year of Jubilee, this is what was supposed to happen, and this is where it gets cool. It said this, that on the year of Jubilee, all who were slaves were to be set freed, and all debts were to be forgiven. And so here's what theologians say. They say that we are supposed to understand that Jesus, as the seventh seven, is the seven in which all sevens have been pointing to. Jesus is the, the one, the seven in which all the Sabbaths, all the years of Jubilee have been pointing to. Uh, as later Jesus would say in a setting, he says, I'm actually Lord of the Sabbath. And he clarifies, he's saying, I'm not doing away with the law. I'm not doing away with the Sabbath. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I am Sabbath. I am rest. I am the ultimate place of rest. I am the ultimate fulfillment of everything that has been coming. And so Jesus, you could say, is the ultimate jubilee, the seventh seven, and that for us, there are no longer slaves. We are no longer slaves to sin. You have been set free. That where there is a debt because of our sins, we pray each week, forgive us our debts. There is no debt because we have been forgiven. And for you right now, for the temptations you face, for the trials you face, for the challenges that are in your way, maybe you relate to Matthew and you're in a setting where you are being despised by those around you, where maybe you are going through a physical pain, a emotional pain, uh, a, a loss, a fear, that in all of it, Jesus says this about himself, both eternally and practically into the living of our life. Matthew chapter 11, he says this, come to me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and what does he say? I will give you rest. I will give you Sabbath because I am Sabbath. I am rest, both eternally and supernaturally in the living of your life. Because Jesus is Biblos Genosios. He is a new beginning. He was a new beginning in Matthew 1. He's a new beginning for us each day. Your mercies are new every morning, it says in Scripture. And that is good news. That is good news that true rest and true peace is available to everyone, regardless of genealogy, of resume, of what you have done, of what you haven't done. Jesus is available to us because God, in his great grace, made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so, if that's the message of the genealogy, that reads more like a phone book than it does typical passages of scripture. Just imagine all that we are in for as we continue to this great adventure that Matthew has for us in Jesus according to him. And so for that, let me pray for us that this would continue to be our reality as we go forward. Father in heaven, um, we feel like maybe we're supposed to go do something, but we are reminded that it is not good advice that beats sin and darkness and struggle in our life, but it is the good news that it has already been beaten. It has been beaten through your son, it has been conquered through your son and his sacrifice. And God, we just ask that we would uh, not, in this situation, be tempted to go and now do anything, um, but that we would leave this week in a posture of thankfulness, of celebration and recognition of who you are, not just who you were, but who you are, in our life eternally and quite practically in everything that we face in each day, that your, new, your mercies are new every day. We thank you for this reality made possible by your grace through Jesus Christ. Amen.